You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Movie Podcast. This is episode number 184 of Essential Indiana's Favorite Podcast. I'm Jeremiah Morrill. Today I'm joined by co-host Zach Burcham and co-host Dakota Davis in the same room at the same time. Today's episode features uh, the return of Mr. Nate Lamar. This is the first time that Nate has been on since episode number 57. So it's been a while. First we were time just, in this building. Yep. The first time yep. in the studio. Um, I'm not even going to say new studio at this point. It's pretty worn in. <laughs> we're like two years in. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking to Nate about uh, an op-ed that he wrote in the Indianapolis Star that talk, that deals a lot with uh, just uh, the military in general. Nate Lamar is the Academy Liaison Officer for East Central and South, Southeastern Indiana. Um, we're going to be talking to him about Israel. We're going to be talking about American troops stationed in Germany the Army National Guard, um, all kinds of cool things. And then uh, towards the end, we're going to get to some national tensions that we've been viewing, uh, kind of also continuing on the conversation from last week's episode. So make sure you stick around to the very end. There was a fun press conference today. I don't know if you guys caught it yet, but uh, Rudy Giuliani had some he, he had an hour and 45 minute press conference. And I think his he, something started seeping off of him. I, I don't know if you caught that or not. <laughs> quite, it was quite that. exciting. You need to pull it up. Well, we're looking here. Pull it up on your phone and go, oh, my God. All right. Uh, this show is about our lives in rural Indiana. We're here to push your boundaries and make you think as individuals. Sometimes we'll provoke you. Other times we'll make you laugh. Hopefully you'll always learn something new. Like apparently Rudy Giuliani dyes his hair. Um, <laughs> it was it was uh, it was quite interesting. All right. We just did a fun tw- uh, 20 minute bit or so uh, in the Patreon. Uh, I think we covered uh, covid. Uh, Thanksgiving and oh malaria. My. Those were my, uh, those are my, you may want to show that to Nate too. So he, he's not left out. He's got a, he's got a battery that's, that's, that's failing him. So, uh, Patreon, I thought went, uh, went well. I enjoyed it. Learned a lot. You never know quite where these are going to go, producer Chris, but, uh, but it was there. It's true. You must have been rushed for time. True. I, I was, I was a little disappointed about them Thanksgiving plans we all had, but, and the food that we discussed. Yes. Well, it, well, we learned somebody hates a certain food. Thanksgiving's been canceled. That's what you need to know. But join the Patreon. You'll get the you'll get the rest of the info. Dakota, what else do we got to talk about here? That's right. Did did I I missed some things? Did we already do Patreon thank yous? No, I was I was okay. teasing. I did the big all old right, tease right, about right. what we talked about. I was just making sure I didn't want to do it twice, but they might deserve it twice. Boss Hog of Liberty or Patreon.com slash boss hog of liberty. That's where you can go to support the show on the monthly level. Um the folks who uh, contribute at $50 or more a month, those are the folks that get a shout-out at the front of every episode. The top of that list is Mr. Chris Lamb. Big thank you to Chris Lamb. Then we also have Christy Avery, Jonathan Phillips, and Mr. Anthony Meyer, who is, you know, he's doing his part keeping this country running during the COVID-19 pandemic and making sure that we all still have toilet paper. He's running that 18-wheeler. 
special thanks to Chris Lamb. I know he lost his father this week. Yeah. So remember, remember him. And I, I did get to see another one of the Patreon members this week. Uh, Jonathan Phillips and I played. I beat him in pool over the weekend. Mm. So I was, I was pretty proud of myself. You are so, some of my best efforts. You're pretty good at pool. Surprisingly. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people that listen might not know about you. Yeah. Well, when your brother has a pool table, it, uh, you get, you get drug into it from time yeah. to time. So you actually can play from here and there better than the people that never get to play at all. Yeah. All right. Guffy, you got the links in the chat already for folks. If they want to buy the merch, that's right. Tchip.com slash BHO one, two, three, or four. One, two, or three are all, uh, ranging and, uh, bottom to top would be lowest to highest in our clothing line, which all has, uh, you know, our logos, different things. Um, Number four is our masks and uh, neck gaiters. You got to have those again. Yep. And then we also have thing. BHOL mug, which is a a new, and I don't, we never talked to Kyle Hopwood of whether or not that's color changing. I can't remember if I made it color changing or if I made it the cheapest one so people would actually buy it. I think there is a <laughs> color changing mug because I keep getting ads as I'm looking at the Indie Star, looking at Nate's big, uh, big op-ed. I'm getting inundated with ads for a 20% off coupon to buy my own mug, the boss hog delivery <laughs> mug on T-Chip. It keeps, I, that's and the, it, and it says it's color changing. I believe so. Yeah. Cause it, there's, it's in white and it it's is in color black. changing. Yeah. Producer Chris is looking at it right now. Does it now. bother anybody it else is, that he says collar? I, I notice it. Yeah. Collar. You Nate, gotta, you speak 42 languages. Is that right <laughs> in any of them? <laughs> I pronounce how you spell it. <laughs> I pronounce the both O's. I don't say call er. When I was, I think I've told this story before, but I, I was my first few years. I was educated in New York State, and some of our textbooks would be Canadian. So the title of one of our textbooks was Colors C O L O U R S ah. Colors. It was the old English spelling. Hmm. So that was. You think you had trouble learning how to spell? Try try having two different depending upon what book you were in. Words were spelled completely differently. Yeah, this nation was founded on dropping things that are unnecessary. And uh, unnecessary user, one of them. Favorite? Caller? It might be It might be one of those things. Something might say on the show I heard somewhere, they said English isn't its own language. It's like three or four different languages on top of each other's shoulders wearing a trench coat trying to act <laughs> like one language. And I'm being reminded of that as I'm trying to teach my son. Like he's, I've got a second grader. And it's, you just realize that here's the rule. And here's all the exceptions to the rule that you're going to run into every single day because there's exceptions to every two, rule. two and two. Yeah. Yeah. And he was just going through, I was like, just ramble words like that off all day. Or here's a word that's me has two different meanings and two different pronunciations. <laughs> you can read something or you've read something. They spelled the same. And, and sometimes you'll think that a word has two, uh, it might have two separate meanings, but it's pronounced the same way, but you think that it's a totally separate word. I discovered that on a podcast with who was who was the guest? Uh, was this is it? 184 of these yeah. Dakota. I barely remember last. <laughs> it week was at this a, point epitome versus epitome. Epitome. Yes, I thought that they were. I, I I've never heard. Were, yes, okay. Epitome is a word. Mm-hmm. Epitome. I you've just said that wrong in your head all of the years. I've read it like the wrong way <laughs> for like two decades, and it's just I don't even understand it. I I just was wrong my entire life. I read the book The Hunt for October in like seventh grade, and I read Rendivious Rendezvous <laughs> through the entire, and it was in the book 
all the time. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I guess. And then I realized, I was like, oh my gosh. I'm like, that, but like, if I just know that. It's a great Buick, the Rundivus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had a, a relative oh, that had boy. one. That's why I called it. I called it the Rundivus or something like that. It was an interesting car for her. But Nate, you were on uh, two episodes. This is your third episode. Episode number 57 and 24. Your last episode, you were interviewing for a job. Uh, for the citizens of Henry County. Are you here for a job in the Biden administration? Is that why you're here this time? <laughs> uh, episode number 24. You were, I don't know if you knew this at the time, but you were the very first guest that was ever broadcast to Facebook Live on camera. Wow. That was the very first time. And so before that, it was radio only. It was, it was audio yeah, it only, yes. Filmed. Okay. And you are also, you do hold the distinction of being the only guest to leave during the show. Because you had another, you had something else going on, but we didn't really explain that to the audience. It was okay. just like Nate left; he's gone, well, <laughs> he's done now. We took our picture ahead of time, so it was fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's uh, can't even remember now what I had to leave for. But yeah. all all of the politicians that have come to probably these doors. perception is reality with uh, Chris Bilbrey, best I could guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and you're the first one to ever leave. So. Speaking of uh, the other shows you've been on, what have you been doing since uh, after the county council president life? Well, I uh, continue to serve the county every chance I get. Uh, you know, most recently I was elected to the Henry County REMC Board of Directors to represent Prairie and Jefferson Townships. And in fact, I took a vacation day today to attend board member training. My first uh, board member training along with Sam Sparks, a new board member from Southwestern Henry County. Right. Right. Sam's Greensboro. Greensboro and Wayne Townships. Yeah. I work with his son. Sam's an old uh, 4-H friend of mine. Yep. I work with his son. So do you, um, REMC and Nine Star have some, they're closely connected. Uh, You ever run into Tom Saunders at any of these events? Uh, sure do. Yeah, I, I run into Tom all the time. In fact, Tom and I need to meet over lunch before he heads back to session in January. You need to, you need to tell Tom that he needs to come back on the show if you don't mind. Well, we have to. <laughs> we have his number. We don't have to have Nate ask. Him I want. I oh, want Nate to bring it up to him. All we have to do is just call. He's always been down. I know. He always enjoys coming on. Four I years in a now at this point. I just want Nate to d- bring us up. <laughs> <laughs> I've, oh, I uh, also enjoyed serving on the Henry County Redevelopment Commission. Uh, we have a lot of things in the works. Um, the big problem on our hands right now, and it's a good problem to have, is we need another shell building. Boar's Head North is now uh, what used to be the shell building. It was the, uh, yeah, yep. It's coming along. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, where's the next one going to be? Uh, due north of the current one. Still in the, uh, in the complex. Within the industrial park. Yeah. That's correct. And in addition to that, something else that uh, the Redevelopment Commission is working on, the house on State Road 3 immediately north of the NDOT site there, that's going to become a child care facility. Huh. Primarily cool. for Boar's Head employees, though not exclusively for them. Basically, you know, for anyone who works there in that area who wants to, to drop their kids off there during the day. That'll be extremely yeah, valuable. That, that's going to be folks. converted to a child care facility. I guess I can't, huh. can't quite picture it. There's a house between Aaron's Auto and the Indot facility or another place? It's the one just north of the Indot facility. Okay. Like a little br- it's a brick house, I think. That's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I knew that I knew somebody that lived in that house and then I think I if the state bought it from them or, or they rented maybe. But I think mm-hmm. the state. At some point, I got ownership of it, and then something happened, and they couldn't do what they wanted with it. 
And so it's been rented out since, but yeah. And, and speaking of inbox, something we need to work on to make that place viable uh, so that you're going southbound on State Road 3. Currently, you can't turn left to go into the driveway there. So a culvert will have to be put in and paved over by dot. You need any rebar that for that culvert? So, no, it'd probably <laughs> just be a little crossover lane. I think they need a big flyover bridge, personally, with some exit ramps. That's the... Uh, that's the over-engineered You'd answer. probably drive like 465 and 56th Street and just like, oh, because there's like <laughs> unnecessary bridges in Indianapolis where I can't even mm-hmm. figure out yeah. why there's a bridge there. Like they'll have a road and you'll go over and then they'll have the person like go to the right and then in a bridge and up over where they were to get to. I'm like, why weren't you just, just the state subsidizing Jeremiah's job? We are starting <laughs> the 50 bridges in downtown Indianapolis. Just buckle up. The North Splits job but is starting I'm, next month. Hopefully I'm work at home for the next Four or five more months. <laughs> That's a three. I never get into downtown. a three-year project. Downtown, so, how is the process of getting a shelter building built work? Is, are there grants that you can apply for for that, or do you, does the county just have to pay for it up front? The redevelopment commission uh, were able to finance it uh, thanks to uh, the TIF districts. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. And it was the last time one was built, it was a partnership, right? There was a, that's there was correct. With a Runabone construction out of Shelbyville, mm-hmm. built it, and then the county owned it, I believe. Is that, or that's they, correct. Mm-hmm. It was a, a handoff, essentially. One built and handled the financing, and then, uh, that's right. it was, yeah, throughout the process, it was a, it was a partnership. Mm-hmm. It was a kind of a public private deal. That's correct. And so we just had an election, and there's going to be a bunch of, well, there's going to be a few new people showing up. No better person to talk about this with than you. What, what can uh, Bobby Plummer expect her first day? Uh, what can she expect her first day? Uh, probably an introduction to every uh, department head in the county. Uh, she's probably already met them, but by introduction, I mean it's going to be more intense than that. She'll have to spend time with each of them, um, meeting you know the people in each department, learning more in depth about what each one does. Now, is there any kind of um, like? Is there any kind of training? Like you were talking about the the board member training that you're having to do. Is there anything similar that the county officials have to go through? When I was first elected to county council in 2006, uh, there was no formal training. It was just very informal, being okay. introduced around. However, I think that's been formalized more so over the past few years since the commissioners hired Ann Bankson as the county human resources director. All right. So there is some kind of like a, I'm, I, it's, it's an on, onboarding procedure, like a workshop yes. or something. Onboarding. That's a good term for it. Oh, you know, in the business world, we got these big words <laughs> for, for the simple stuff. Um, how, how quickly does it take, does, does somebody come into a county role like that and start to feel comfortable? You know, you served and you were president of the council almost immediately, right? Um, within, after the first, two, within your first two term. years. So it was two Th- years that's in. That's correct. Yeah. When um, County Council President Bob Veach was defeated in the 2008 primary and then stepped down December 31st, I was then elected in January of 2009 as council president and then reelected for 10 years. So for those that for the first two years, did you feel comfortable in the job immediately or how long does it take? Because I think what Dakota and I are getting at is we've got a very new county government, right? That's you've correct. got, you've got mm-hmm. in the last two years, all the county commissioners are fresh and new first timers. Once we get into January, obviously Ed Yanos has got a couple more uh, meetings left, but 
And then the county council has had massive turnover as well. So just mm-hmm. paint the picture for us as what it looks like. It, it does seem like a lot of institutional knowledge is kind of is is not there that was. So how, how does this work? It's a steep ramp up. I'll put it that way. I mean, uh, you're always going to be learning new things on the job in county government. And I can't stress enough the value of continuing education and the need for the newly elected officials to be involved in the Association of Indiana Counties and then its subsidiary organizations, specifically the County Commissioners Association and the Indiana County Council Association and the training that they provide. And that's where you get the continuing education to understand how other areas operate. That's so correct. Not reinventing the wheel. Do you have to already know Robert's Rules of Order whenever you get in there? <laughs> it's helpful. It's very helpful. <laughs> but I, uh, I respect the AIC so much as well as its national organization, the NACO, the National Association of Counties, that I maintain alumni membership in them. Incredible. So, and then walk us through the, everybody understands the county council passes a budget, county commissioners are the executive, but those boards also have, they hire their own attorneys, they have, they have staff, they, they're responsible for, the commissioners are responsible for uh, all of those department heads. That's correct. And those folks are, are they at will? Are they political appointments? So they're just, it, it, it all, it, are they all different? I guess non-elected department heads are at will employees. Okay. And then we've got, uh, I guess, auditor, the judges. That's correct. The, the recorder, elected department, the, the elected heads. department heads, mm-hmm. treasurer, right. Sheriff. There, there are five or six constitutional offices as well. Correct. So, uh, whenever you came on, and on episode 24, we were hoping that you were going to announce a run for office. Are, are you announcing anything this time? Are you going to try to defeat Diego for Secretary of State? <laughs> <laughs> Diego's been running for Secretary of State for quite some time now. And uh, I uh, think he has the upper hand. But no, uh, no thanks. I'm not interested in Secretary of State. Uh, one should never say never. But uh, we'll It's a risky job. Sometimes out. you go to jail. You've really got to be careful. <laughs> Uh, we'll see what pans out in terms of redistricting. I uh, don't anticipate Tom Saunders retiring anytime soon. And so we'll see uh, what's done with state Senate redistricting. Yep. All right. Right now, the uh, Henry County is uh, is covered by the northern third of, of Henry County is in uh, Doug Eckerty's. Oh, my goodness. It's Mike changed. Gaskell. Mike Gaskell now. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Get, uh, get with the times, Jeremiah. Two years in, Mike Gaskell represents the uh, the northern, which is the, the area of the county that you live in. That's correct. And, uh, yeah, that's a district that is 60% Madison County, 26% Delaware County, and only 14% Henry County by registered voters. Absolutely. So, what uh, what you got next to go to? Next, we're going to be talking about, if you are a member of the Patreon, patreon.com slash Liberty, you get show notes ahead of time, and there's a little link where uh, it'll take you to the op-ed in the Indianapolis Star that Nate wrote. So if you want to uh, click on that, if you're a Patreon member, and follow along with us, and that's what we're going to be talking about next. So how does this work? Did, did the Gannett folks call you up, or you said, I've got a, I'm passionate about this, and I want to write about it? Because I think I saw it in the Muncie Star Press. That's and then correct. I realized it was in the Indy Star. I'm like, holy cow, Nate's, Nate's <laughs> the, big today. The Muncie Star Press, they've had me write for them for years. But being that, like you said, that they're now a Gannett newspaper, yeah. often what's published there, 
will be published in the Richmond Palladium item yep. almost all the time, and occasionally the Indianapolis Star. Have you checked to see if you're in USA things. Today yet? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish. Or the that, Tennessean. It could be anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gannett owns is the largest newspaper publisher in the, in the country, so they're all over the place. I like that they keep – this is kind of off topic, but I like that Gannett keeps their – the theme of all their websites, the exact same. Because, I mean, you're reading the Muncie Star, but you can also be reading USA Today. <laughs> I, 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 I have my quarrels with the Indianapolis Star and some of the Gannett papers as well. But, uh, yeah, the interface is the same. I think it's I, good. I think their motorsports coverage has been just pathetic lately. Their COVID-19 coverage has been kind of crappy, too. But <laughs> Nate's But Greg Doyle works there, so it's good. And Nate's thing was great. Great. Uh, so... Like we said at the top of the show, you are a military academy liaison officer for East Central and Southeastern Indiana. What exactly does that mean? Uh, That's a fancy title for West Point recruiter for the congressional district. Uh, That's my territory. So I deal uh, with high school guidance counselors, college fairs, and media in the 19 counties of the 6th congressional district, uh, just promoting West Point primarily to high school seniors. And so Dakota, you're too old now. Um, <laughs> he the, said primarily. Primarily. The you've been doing this a while. This didn't just start with Congressman Greg Pence. You've been in this role for quite some time. That's correct. Now um, let me make the distinction though. Okay. Um, my service on the Congressional on um, the Service Academy Advisory Board, that's actually a civilian appointment. Okay. So I wear one hat when I do that for the congressman. And I've been doing this since the David McIntosh days that's what for every about, member yeah. of Congress from this district. But then um, when in uniform, that's when I'm the MALO, the West Point recruiter. Okay. So as a West Point recruiter, are you uh, active duty in the military? No, in that no. Role? Th- this is an inactive reserve position. Okay, similar to a guard reserve. Yeah, it's okay. There is volunteer. very little risk of you having to do something dangerous. <laughs> uh, that that's correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Depends on the high school. Though. Yeah, <laughs> good point. In Laurel, you may it may get dangerous. I suppose but there's. <laughs> so, uh, who's eligible to attend the West Point Academy? Um, you have to be between seven. You have to be at least seventeen years old and no older than twenty-one. <gasps> the so day I you am enter. <laughs> so um, generally, that's July first of every year, and these same rules apply to all the service academies: uh, West Point, the Naval Academy at Annapolis, Maryland, the Air Force Academy at Colorado Springs, and Kings Point. That's the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. I did not know about 17 to 21. That's the age range to enter. So generally it's high school seniors that enter, but on occasion we'll have a uh, prior serviceman enter, you know, with uh, combat experience already under their belt. A good example of that was Caleb Marsden. Caleb Marsden graduated from West Point this past spring. Uh, he was from uh, rural Rush County. I want to say Arlington. I'm very familiar with our Yes. Army. That's where my but, folks are. <laughs> but yeah, Caleb was uh, prior service. He was enlisted in the Army, I believe, three years prior to getting a direct appointment into West Point. He didn't have to go to the prep school first or anything like that. And it's very difficult to get a direct appointment from the enlisted Army ranks right into West Point. But Caleb did it. Very impressive. 
That's very neat. So how, how was your path to West Point? How, how did you get to, how, how did this happen for you? I had uh, one of my dad's first cousins, Mike Bowers, who was Newcastle High School class of 1960. He went to West Point. And so growing up, I just heard stories about it from him. And by the time I was in seventh grade, I made my decision then, I want to go to West Point. So you were, tar- you didn't have to be recruited. You recruited the recruiters at that point. <laughs> you were, you were set. You, you, you're focused on the goal. So what, right. what is West Point like? What, what are you going to get at West Point that you don't get from your, uh, from your, um, secondary occupational training after basic training in the army? Uh, four years of hell. That's what you get. <laughs> no, it, it is a very difficult four years, especially the first year. Okay. Uh, but it just provides a military environment 24 seven. Uh, whereas, you know, other commissioning sources like ROTC, I mean, I'm not criticizing the reserve officer training corps, but, um, you know, it's not a military 24 seven environment. If you're doing ROTC, for example, at Ball State or IU or Purdue. Okay. Uh, likewise, officer candidate school, that's just, you know, 90 days. And then you're, you know, commissioned a second lieutenant. That's the difference between them. Gotcha. Yeah, West Point, it's just four years of a 24-7 military environment. But then you're also attending classes for what your job will be. That's correct. As a commissioned officer. That's right. Well, yes and no. Uh, because your major at West Point may not necessarily be what your branch or oh, MOS okay. is. That, that's the difference between the two. Okay, very cool. Is is it pretty stand? Uh, this question I have a a childhood friend of mine graduated from West Point in the spring, mm-hmm. and like we were talking about before the show, uh, is it is it common for a lot of folks to enter Ranger School right after West Point? It is, especially those who branch infantry. It's basically a requirement if you're going to be an infantry officer. In addition, you can go to Ranger School during the summer between your junior and senior years at West Point. Okay. All right. Very cool. Um, let's see. You also wrote about Israel and the newest pact they have with uh, the UAE. Um, and you said that it was a big win for stability in the Middle East and hopefully decreases terrorism. UAE, for those that aren't able to Google it, is the United Arab Emirates. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I just kind of want to expand on that topic a little bit, how it like, uh, how is it going to bring about stability in the Middle East and by extension, less terrorism for America? The Abraham Accords are uh, what this treaty is called. And it's not only between Israel and the UAE. It's just the UAE was the first signatory to the Abraham Accords. Um, Bahrain was second and Sudan was third. And there will be others, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, what it represents is more Arab nations willing to make peace with Israel. Egypt first made peace with Israel in 1977 in the Camp David Accords. And not a lot of people realize this, but the impetus behind this was uh, when uh, Anwar Sadat, who was president of Egypt at the time, uh, he had a son killed in the Yom Kippur War with Israel in 1973. And so that started changing his heart, believing that 
look, we as Egypt should be making peace with Israel. So that's where it all began. Unfortunately, Anwar Sadat then, uh, you know, paid for that by being assassinated a few, a few years later by those who were against the peace process. Right. Jordan established peace and diplomatic relations with Israel in 1994. Now, that was the Clinton, Yasser Arafat, and that's correct. Yeah, that, that, that was part of that. Right. <clears throat> what the Abraham Accords represent, though, um, if you look at it under the surface, it represents not only business interests in the region, because the United Arab Emirates is the business hub for basically the Middle East, Africa, and South Asia, Dubai in particular. Dubai could be likened to being the Singapore of, of that Asia, part of, of the world. Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And um, in addition, what this represents is Israel tying itself with the Sunni Arabs, the Sunni Muslims, against the Shiite Crescent. The Shiite Crescent is Iran, a plurality of the population of Iraq, a large portion of Syria's population, and a large portion of Lebanon's population, as well as Yemen. Okay, um, The Sunni Muslims and the Shiite Muslims have been enemies for 1,500 years, or 1,300 years, excuse me. And so Israel is casting its lot with... Um, the mentality being in that part of the world, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so Israel has decided, as has the region, Iran is a worse enemy of Israel than the Sunni Arab countries are. And likewise, right. the Sunni Arab countries have always feared Iran and the instability that it has sown within their countries. So, so from, that's another reason for it. From the non-interventionist view or the non-interventionist perspective, what our folks have trouble understanding is why the United States has to have a role in these conversations. Why, Mm -hmm. why is the United States military or the United States diplomatically in the conversation? And that's, that's, that's what I'd love to have you expand on. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's a very good question. Um, It's um, I'm of the opinion that it is in our interest to maintain a military presence in the Middle East, because it is still an unstable region, the Abraham Accords will help make it more stable and hopefully allow more U.S. troops to be sent home. Not all U.S. troops, but more. So if you're looking at your your view, your foreign mm-hmm. policy view, what folks at a national level that our audience might be aware of would you say that you most align with? If you were to pick a couple of of national thought leaders on this that would be, yeah, that, you know, if you're looking at Nate, these are the people that, you know, okay, if I understand this person, I probably understand where, where your sure. perspective is coming mm-hmm. from. Uh, I've always been a Dick Luger Republican, okay. uh, not only because he appointed me to West Point, for which <laughs> I was always grateful to him, but I respected his foreign policy views better than anyone else. Okay. All right. So then we also talked about, um, uh, Germany in the op-ed, or you did, um, and you talked about uh, the current administration, uh, Donald Trump's administration, withdrawing troops from Germany, and you kind of have a personal connection to Germany because you you stayed in Germany in your time in the military, correct? That's correct. And so I was stationed there. You said that there were there are thirty four thousand troops currently there. 
That's and, correct. Um, if you look at it on the surface, like I have done, is you go, why do we need so many people in Germany? But this is also something you talk about in the article that I thought was extremely interesting. I'll let you kind of take sure. over. On face value, uh, one would think, why should the uh, wealthiest nation in Europe and why should the largest nation in Europe, in the middle of Europe, surrounded by friendly countries, why should a country like Germany have that many American soldiers there protecting it? Okay, That is a rather dated Cold War thought process about Germany. Okay. The truth is, just because 34,000 troops are stationed in Germany doesn't mean they are protecting Germany. Germany is but a staging area. Uh, to quote my friend, Senator Todd Young, Germany is a lily pad for U.S. soldiers to then be deployed elsewhere more rapidly than they could be if they had to come in from being stateside. And so, you know, just because you're stationed in Germany doesn't mean that you serve in Germany. Often Germany is where your dependents are stationed, you know, where your spouse is stationed while you are downrange serving in Afghanistan, Kuwait, or increasingly on the African continent, such as uh, Camp Lemonier in Djibouti. And also you said like we're expanding across Europe uh, because of some hostile seeming relations with Russia, correct? That's correct. Um, Russia hosted the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi. And uh, you may recall right after that, uh, within, I think, two weeks after the Sochi Olympics ended, Russia invaded the Crimean Peninsula and just took yeah, it away right. from the Ukraine. Correct. And the best the Obama administration could come up with was sanctions on Putin and a few of his fellow oligarchs. And so because of that, Eastern Europe is very worried right now about uh, Putin's saber rattling, in particular Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, but not just them. The for- um, so these are former Soviets. Uh, that's correct. In the 80s, they were all in the USSR. That's right. And not a lot of people are aware of this, but there are now small U.S. military bases in Poland, Hungary, and Romania. So, and in the, the, oh, what, what's the logic? I guess and that's the mm-hmm. that's the what folks on the libertarian side will will challenge and saying you know we have this mm-hmm. imperial nation where we're in a hundred and some countries with bases. What's the counter argument to that as to why it's important for the U.S. to be in Poland? Right. The counter argument is that uh, historically Poland has been the battlefield of Europe for hundreds of years. It's flat. It's very easy to cross. Uh, you know, not only with swords and horses, but, you know, with modern-day tanks. Sure. Poland has always been just the um, the battlefield of the continent. It's the, uh, it's the crossroads of Europe, right? Exactly. Indiana's the crossroads yeah. of America, and Poland is, that's, the, that's, that's the, right. the same thing. And in addition to Eastern Europe, uh, the Nordic countries are uh, very afraid of Putin as well. Uh, there was an article in The Economist about three, four weeks ago, how even Sweden a neutral nation, which is not a member of NATO and was never a member of the Warsaw Pact, Sweden is in the process of tripling its defense budget. Wow. What are you thinking over there, Zach? Um, I mean, I, I knew about the 
kind of a really bad thing in Germany because a lot of times you'll hear if somebody gets injured when they're deployed, that's where they'll end up. They go to Germany. And I know a guy, Facebook guy, there's, you know, all kinds of different communities on Facebook. There's a guy who just recently got back and he spent years, in, like he lived in Germany. Mm-hmm. He raised his family in Germany. He got just got back to Texas, but he was just bouncing around driving a Chevy Tahoe in Europe for like a couple of years. And that was just, I think that when you're there, there's areas where it's, you think you're in America if you're on the base. Um, because they built an American city there essentially for the mm-hmm. military personnel to be there. It's kind of like mm-hmm. us going down to Oldenburg, Indiana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. No, a, German, my, a German town here. My experience in Germany was atypical. Uh, I was one of 40 Americans on a German base, a base of 2000 Bundeswehr soldiers or German army soldiers. Um, I was not on a U.S. base. And thankfully, the Army, you know, provided me good training prior to that. I was sent to the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California for their nine-month German fluency program. Boy, that's a terrible, terrible there. place to have to and, go, huh? Northern <laughs> California for nine months of training. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> on, the, on the ocean. <laughs> right. So uh, after DLI, the Army then sent me to counterterrorism school at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, to equip me for my mission as the liaison officer between the 40 Americans and their 2,000 German hosts. In addition to that, I provided counterterrorism training throughout the NATO group in that sector in Germany. But it was a good experience because, you know, it forced me to live on the economy, so to speak. You know, there was no base, so there wasn't base housing. The Americans in this unit had to blend in in the local culture, not only for security reasons, but just... um, you know, there was no crutch to fall back on. Right. There was no PX to go to. There was no, uh, you know, Burger King. Uh, you know, uh, large American bases around the world have the post exchange, the commissary, and a Burger King. They all do. And increasingly, a they're Burger adding King? Popeyes as well. Oh, yeah. Every <laughs> right. Popeyes. Kuwait even had a Burger King. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it surprises me it's Burger King and not McDonald's. Yeah. Really surprising. Uh, Burger King has the, um, the Army contract, contract right? at least. I don't know about Navy or Air Force bases, but they have the Army contract at least. Huh. How cool. Uh, I don't know. You just think. go to the chow hall of the Air Force bases and you're dining at a five-star restaurant. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> there, there so how long were you right? in Germany? Um, just a, a year, and then my unit deactivated. One year. Mm-hmm. So what kind of work were they, would they be doing? Was it training, or it was the counterterrorism where you were essentially a mm-hmm. communications arm? To we had terrorism. custody of battlefield-level nuclear weapons, and so that's why my unit was deactivated. When Reagan and Gorbachev signed the INF Treaty, the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty, it spelled an end to units such as mine. Huh. How interesting. So you were... You were there right right towards the end of the wall. That's correct. I arrived in Germany after the wall opened, okay. but still it, it was intriguing to go into the former East Germany when a lot of the wall and a lot of the Iron Curtain was still up and had not yet been torn down. Wow, that's wild. That's so cool. Have you been back since? Yes, sure have. Oh, cool. Is it like a totally different world now? No, no trace of the wall now. No trace huh. of the, or I, I stand corrected. There's one part of Berlin where they have a section of the wall up, maybe a uh, hundred yards or so, 
It's very Actually, similar to going down to 14th Street uh, at the old Chrysler factory. Where the corner of the, the original building still auto stands. assembly facility from the Maxwell. Oh, that's, so, that's pretty neat. What a cool job. So how many languages do you actually speak? I'm fluent in Spanish. I'm near fluent in German and French. When I'm back in German and French-speaking environments, after about a week or so, my fluency returns. Oh, and then cool. uh, Arabic, I can hold my own in. I had five semesters of Arabic and one semester of Hebrew at West Point, but I'm by no means fluent in either one. Which one's the hardest to learn? Arabic, by far. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Even harder than Hebrew? Yes. Mm-hmm. Huh. All right. Sure I'll take your word for it. When are you going to take up Russian? <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I had a six-week Russian crash course years ago, just a six-week night class for familiarity. But, you know, that was towards the end of the Cold War. But with that being said, I do think that we need to keep our eye not only on China, but also on Russia. Yeah, it is increasingly more so. (laughs) Speaking of China, um, recently the RCEP was signed, the Regional Cooperative Economic Partnership. That was China's attempt to take leadership in a trade pact, an East Asian trade pact that also includes Australia and New Zealand. And that's because Donald Trump announced on Inauguration Day that uh, he was pulling out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Right, which was 12, was it 12 countries in the TPP? Uh, Something like that. I think 17 total, okay. <clears throat> yeah. The RCEP, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, that's China and 14 countries. But although China is pushing this, and the leaders of these countries may be pushing it, the legislatures of each country need to adopt it. And there is some question as to whether Australia, Thailand, and Japan will accept it. So with that being Hopefully said, they won't, but are you going to... You gonna be buying up a Huawei phone anytime soon? <laughs> <laughs> that's the uh, the Chinese uh, cell phone that's available. Is that correct? Yeah, the Huawei phone is the is the um, ripoff of Apple technology. Are they banned in the United States? Aren't they, they are currently banned. I was gonna in the say United you can't States you can't get one. You cannot even you can buy one, <clears throat> but it's prohibited for any cell service providers you to activate give you service. <laughs> correct. Yeah, in in my opinion, the um, the United States pulling out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership was the biggest foreign policy failure of the Trump administration. However, the Abraham Accords would be the biggest foreign policy success of the Trump administration. Why do you think it was a failure? Uh, it was a failure because China has stepped in and filled the vacuum. If you're not going to participate, they're yeah. going to they're going to set things on their terms at that point. That's correct, and this is all part of the Belt and Road Initiative. The TPP by, came along, or the Obama administration. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. This is all part of China's Belt and Road Initiative to get as many primarily developing third world nations on its side as possible, and this just played into China's hand. But I did mention, you know, the Abraham Accords, in my opinion, are the biggest foreign policy success of the Trump administration. And earlier I mentioned that they're not done yet. After the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Sudan, I predict that next we're going to see Qatar join, um, Oman, Kuwait, and possibly Morocco. 
Uh, Saudi Arabia will eventually join, but they'll probably be the last to join the Abraham Accords. Why do you think they would be the last? Uh, Saudi Arabia is under so much pressure from Muslim fundamentalists as the uh, home of Mecca and Medina. And because of that, although the Saudi king and the royal family would be agreeable to do this, they know that a large portion of their population and a lot of the uh, Wahhabi clerics, a lot of the Wahhabi Muslim clerics who exert undue influence within Saudi Arabia would be reluctant for Saudi Arabia to sign on with Israel. Is it because their population is so, is like, are, are they pretty split between the two sects? It's not that so much. Although I will say in Saudi Arabia's eastern province where a lot of the oil is, Damam, Dahran, that area, uh, there is a large Shiite population. Gotcha. But the vast majority of Saudi Arabia's population is Sunni. But they're Sunni fundamentalists who oppose Saudi Arabia getting in bed with the Zionist entity. That's what they call Israel. Right, yeah. Yeah, a lot of these people refuse to recognize Israel as a country. As a country, yeah. So you alluded to the trade uncertainty that happened in the Trump administration. I don't know where you're allowed to be politically at this point. I'm from the libertarian party and we're generally are accepting that the Trump administration is coming to an end. I don't know inside the Republican side, if, uh, if that's a, a, a accepted uh, across the board yet or not. Uh, but if there is that change, do you think that a Biden administration will start to maybe roll back into the TPP and other, other similar arrangements for economic certainty for the U.S.? I would like to see that happen. It is in the best interest of this country, but unfortunately, it could be too late. Like I said, China stepped in to fill the vacuum. But let's just hope that the legislatures of Australia, Thailand, Japan, and maybe a few others reject the RCEP. Yeah, and then then you would have the chance to to swap it back out. Right. What about the... uh the replacement of NAFTA. You, you, you talked about, and it, it, for those that don't know, Nate's been doing international business for ages. So other than the foreign policy side, this is also another expert area for you. Um, the U S Mexico and Canadian uh, trade deal that's, that's come through in the Trump administration. The USMCA is the new improved NAFTA. It levels the playing field more so uh, in particular in um, Internet commerce, you know, which was non-existent in the early 90s when NAFTA came into being. Sure. Uh, in addition, it doesn't provide Canada with the protectionism that it had for its timber industry and for its dairy farmers. I say the dairy farmer, the dairy industry I've been hearing about from the Canadians has been, I, I hear a lot from the College of Agriculture and from the USDA. Mm-hmm. And the, the dairy portion of it was just a, apparently a massive issue where they, were, right. they weren't behaving well, according to the U.S. Uh, US mm-hmm. farmer. That's correct. In addition, uh, there are large provisions within the USMCA for uh, automotive workers in Mexico to be paid, I believe, a minimum wage that is um, 12 to $15 an hour, whereas currently, you know, they might be paid 3 to $5 an right. hour. So with that, what it does is it starts to balance out the labor savings that drove so many assembly jobs and component jobs and that were former UAW jobs that would have been in our part of the world that went to Mexico. Exactly. Right. Yes. In the nineties mm-hmm. and early two thousands. That's the, and that, that's one of the reasons why Trump did win 
Michigan previously, right? Right. And mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see what happens this time. Dakota, you've got a section in here we wanted to get before we jump into the national stuff too much. Yep. Uh, about are you are you ready? You can't you can't go to West Point, so now you're can't ready to, to join West the National Point. Guard. So this is why this is why it's in the show notes. Yep. I'm ready to go. Listen, my barber, Austin, he's got a good thing going where he's got his own business. He's in the National Guard. I made some tables for Cade Coger, and my business page has been bombarded with messages and requests. I want to see if this works out for me. So, Chris, do you have any advice for him while you're over there real quick? Don't go infantry. <laughs> <laughs> you'll break your knees and you'll break your back. I just, I, there's a, I have a lot of friends. Well, I say a lot. I have four friends <laughs> who are currently or just recently left the Army National Guard. And I know that it, so obviously it, it is a, a big thing of interest for young people mm-hmm. in this community to join. So I kind of wanted to talk about it a little bit. Um, but then also just like get into the specifics because we only ever hear of, you know, high school students. After mm-hmm. I leave high school, I'm going to join the Army National Guard. You never hear about anybody else. But I would assume that, well, I, I would assume that if I went to an Army National Guard recruiter as a healthy 25-year-old male, they wouldn't be like, mm, you're too old. You're right. Uh, you can enter the National Guard. Well, in fact, you can enter active duty reserves or National Guard any time before your 36th birthday. So, yeah, 35 years old, that's the maximum to enter. We're out, Zach. That's, yeah. that's the maximum to enter. So, yeah, uh, it, it would be great if you could do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm only, uh, what, three years away from peak physical performance as a male? I'm just saying, do six years, get a $20,000 sign-on bonus, 10 years after three, 10000 after three years, 10000 after you get MOSQ'd. It's not uh, bad. Sounds like I'd be rolling in it. But can I still keep my job? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, I'm in. <laughs> mo- most, most, ask, ask Travis White, you'll end up in Iraq. <laughs> yeah. Most employers are accepting of National Guard or Reserve Service. There's I a, won't say all employers there's are, a but the program, vast majority right? are. Mm-hmm. There's some special program, third party, that is headed by the Army National Guard to work with employers. It's called ESGR, Employer Support of the Guard and Reserve, and they track employers who don't comply. In other words, employers who... So it's like a union rat list. <laughs> when they say, hey, yeah, you can go play Army, but you have to use all of your vacation time first. So, yeah. And then and it, then if you don't do that right, then we're going to fire you. Those are the folks that they're tra- chasing. The after. ESGR monitors um, Guard and Reserve members' progress with their employer, you know, if they're passed over for a promotion, for example, uh, or if they're yeah, forced to use vacation time rather than being given the time off and things like that. So that that's right. Where is the Army recruitment office for this area? Uh, Newcastle no longer has one. I think it's downtown Muncie. I think that's the nearest Army that's and correct. Army National Guard recruitment office. Yep. So, Okay. What is the difference between the Army National Guard and the Indiana National Guard? Okay, the Indiana National Guard. Uh, when I say the Army National Guard, I mean all of the state-level National Guards. It, it's so, the, yeah, exact the, Indiana Dakota, National Guards, the exact same thing. The exact same thing. Yeah. Then there is the Indiana Air National Guard. That, yes, that is different. Yeah. 
What 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 is the difference there? It's That's the Air Force. You report to the uh, lieutenant. Yeah, it's the Air Force the version. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, someone saying I'm I'm in the National Guard and someone saying I'm in the Indiana National Guard, they mean the exact same, same thing. thing. Yeah. Same thing. Okay. You, you both fall under. So the the difference is that there's not a real difference, but the the Indiana National Guard and the Army National Guard, Indiana, the governor has control over you, and but you can still be federalized. And then you fall in under the regular army umbrella is basically what it is. That's correct. The other thing is you don't necessarily have to be an Indiana resident to join the Indiana Guard. You know, depending on what unit you want to affiliate with based on your special, based on your specialty, your MOS, you could join the Ohio National Guard. It's true. The only thing is that you'll have to make the trip once a month, one weekend a month to the, the unit. Generally, and then two weeks in the summer. But I have fifteen days. Yeah, we're we're talking about me, but I really don't have an interest in doing this. But I'll I'll keep the conversation rolling. For I mean, you did wear the green shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So how could I join? You're terrifying the listeners right now. Going, what are we going to do without Dakota for two more weeks in the summer? We have Zach. Zach's Zach's got bath time concerns. It's going to be a nightmare. That's the only chair I haven't sat in. (laughs) Is Jeremiah's chair? You can do a show next week without me if you want to. I'll be in Georgia. How can I? I've never been in the military, mm-hmm. so obviously I would have to go to some type of basic training. That's correct. So, I mean, I would have to do all of those things, but see, like, my friend, uh, we'll, we'll take Quentin Thompson, for example. He joined the Army National Guard right after high school, and then and he was immediately sent to El Paso and lived there for mm-hmm. four years. I mean, but if you're also telling me I can keep my job here, but my job doesn't exist in El Paso... So how can I keep my job here for four years but not live in this state? If he was sent to El Paso for four years, then it sounds like he got a full-time National Guard job. Yeah, yes, he did. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, okay. That's what it sounds like. That's yeah. not the, but, the, the two-week. Uh, yeah, the, right. The, the, that's the not part-time. the standard typical person. No, no. The, those are um, the vast majority. Um, Chris, what would you say? 99% of those who join the national guard are, are just weekend one weekend a month and two weeks yep, in the summer. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, and so the it basic might be training, 95, but it's still, it's, it's a really high number. And the basic it, training time period commitment for those folks is, is it four weeks or six weeks? No, basic training is eight. Yeah. yeah. Eight, eight, eight weeks. weeks. And then, then when you go to MOS, MOS, eight, AT training, which is not AT, but, um, AIT, which is your advanced individual training. That's when you become MOS queued. And that. That time length can vary depending on what your MOS is. Like and with for uh, infantry, listeners who like, aren't familiar with MOS and MOSQ, that means military occupational specialty, and then okay. you become military occupational specialty qualified. Yeah, MOSQ. as soon as you graduate advanced individual training. Yeah. So essentially what they're recommending is if you're going to do this, you need to quit this career, <laughs> go do that one for like three or four months, and then pick it back up. So, But if they are a guard-friendly employer mm-hmm. then that means that they guarantee that they won't refill your position that's yeah, correct yeah they'll hold yes. your job until you get back See, <laughs> they just don't have to pay you obviously no yeah. no but you get paid from from the guard with the army but i have to compare those if they can pay my bills <laughs> compare the options <laughs> hey dakota you're taking a pay cut <laughs> yeah well based on but you do get that sweet signing bonus twice yeah, right. yeah, you, yeah, you can get, well, you, depending on the, depending on the job, the job, you have to, yes, certain jobs. So I just, I mean, I bet they're going to make you an electrician. 
I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> they, they won't make you anything. You get a pick. I bet mm-hmm. you'll choose electrician. Depends on that sign-on bonus. Just get a bucket truck that's a different I think, color. I actually think the, <laughs> the, Indiana, the National Guard here in Indiana just had a cyber security division, like, battalion open up. Uh, uh, one of my ago. West Point classmates, Greg Conti, uh, he and this other grad who I don't know, they were the founders of the Army's newest branch, the cyber branch. Yeah. All right, Nate. Well, this all sounds great. So Dakota joined the army. This is a, this is quite the effort. Um, <laughs> what, what's going on in national politics? What are, are you preparing for the Biden administration or did you watch the, were you aware of the Giuliani hour 45 press conference today? What, what's uh, uh, legitimately, I know we're being facetious here, but I would say, what, what's this your point, take, man? I would say at this point, the Biden administration is inevitable even if the Trump campaign were able to win enough lawsuits in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Georgia, um, it won't be enough votes to make the difference. Right. Uh, Michigan, uh, the vote difference was 145,000. I seriously doubt that there will be that many ballots disqualified. You know, from what I'm hearing in Georgia, uh, where the Margin is thirteen, fourteen thousand. There were maybe three hundred ballots thrown out. Right. Yeah. It, it it sounds like the the barrier is just too high. Right. And to, Wisconsin, to uh, you know, the Trump campaign would have had to have spent eight million to recount all of Wisconsin. As it turns out, they're just doing three million to, I believe, recount just Milwaukee and maybe Madison. Right. They Which, have to pay this to pay people to count. Is that what? Why, why are they having to pay? Anytime there's a, uh, it varies from one state to the next, but anytime there's a recount, uh, the side demanding the recount has to pay a fixed amount per precinct. Unless it's within an automatic range where it's right. extremely close, then you right. have to pay. Mm-hmm. Like in the 2018 primary, since I just barely lost, I was encouraged by several people to do a recount because I was, you know, that extremely close. close. Now, I, I decided against in 2000, there were, there was an issue in that ultimately this is what the Supreme court decided on was that they were asking for recounts in only certain counties in Florida. And the Supreme court said that's unconstitutional. If you're, if you're targeting or looking for votes in only one area, mm-hmm. that's a problem. I, do you see that that is being an issue in Wisconsin? If they're saying, Hey, I only want to look at the big cities. Well, Again, a pro- it's probably a state's rights issue, right. and this must vary from one state to the next. Maybe the Supreme Court overruled Florida, right? But from what I hear, the Trump administration backed down from eight million to three million to just target certain parts of Wisconsin, and they recount. totally gave up on Arizona, right? Yes, from from what I've heard, yeah. So because you may recall, Arizona was first called for Biden. Then, then the AP and CNN and a few others have retracted it. And they said, yeah. no, Arizona's still up for grabs. Then Arizona was able to more quickly conduct its recount and then it went back to Biden. So we, we originate the show in Newcastle, Indiana, uh, the sixth congressional district, which was once represented by Mike Pence, our congressman, our governor, and now our vice president. So we often look at things through the eyes of, okay, what's next for Mike Pence? How's, <laughs> <laughs> How is he navigating this? Uh, because most people are looking at it inevitably where 
you know, their administration is coming to an end. So he's looking for a path to possibly run again himself in 2024. The president saying, you know, if I lost, maybe I'll run again myself. Maybe Don Jr. is going to run. This is incredibly muddy for his political career. David McIntosh quoted uh, was in Howie Politics, Indiana, either yesterday or the day before, saying something like, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, Mike Pence is so loyal to Donald Trump that if Trump wants to run again in 24, Mike Pence will be there for him. Uh, my advice to Mike Pence, whom I've known personally for 30 years, I've been in his home, he's been in my home, my advice to him would be, be your own man. Yeah. You run for president in 24. Don't worry about what Trump wants to do. Yep. That's the, that would that's be the my last, the last era, Pence. last generation. Do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's been wild. It's, it's, it's just, this is so surreal watching, you know, I can remember, gosh, this is probably the fifth or sixth presidential election that I've truly been very, very aware of and, and watched. And this isn't what happens, right? This, the, it, right. you normally have the, concession speech and you know george bush we've seen a whole lot of george bush wishing bill clinton you know you're my president now your Mm -hmm. success is my success and i just don't know if we're going to get that moment that's that's the part that i'm looking at that i just don't i don't know it's one of the interesting things that's popped up and it's really like it's what america is about is you seeing all these pictures of transitions and of the families mixing because like uh, i saw one when when obama went in office and it was it, it, he wasn't in the picture. It was the wives and the kids and they were hanging out because she was like, Michelle was concerned about her kids and like, and uh, George W. Bush's kids weren't home. They were older. And, but it, Laura said, I'll bring, I'll call them in and brought them home. And then they just gave him like the tour and show, it was like showing them how to like, here's a great spot to slide down a banister. <laughs> and it was just like giving him like the intro course. And you're seeing that stuff. And I saw where Obama said, can you arrange for me to have dinner with all of the, living presidents mm-hmm. or and they had lunch together and it was just like you see that and like that's that's the key part right here is you want to see this that's the peaceful transfer that's of the power, peaceful transfer right. of power that, that we pride ourselves see. on that's yeah right. and it's happened uh, in, unless there's been an incapacitation or a death it's been seamless essentially seamless even even in clinton to bush right which that's was right. the mm-hmm. you know the most hostile version that i can mm-hmm. remember in my lifetime and we're not seeing it. I just I don't know if at some point we're going if that's going to change or if it's going to be until January 20th. I took my younger daughter Lexi to the inauguration on January 20th, uh, 2017 mm-hmm. and uh yeah, up there on the dais standing right next to um um the Trumps and the Pences were um, Hillary and Bill Clinton. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a it's just, it's just crazy surreal, man. I don't as know. As well I, as the Obamas. Yeah. And the Bushes. Yeah. The, Bidens, it, the Bushes, yeah. all of them. The whole, the whole crew was there. That's what the, happens if between now and January 20th, if Biden dies. <laughs> what books are you reading? I mean, no, I just. We're all on there, the watch list now just because. Is there a plan in place? I would expect that. Uh, you'd have President Harris. I mean, I, I really don't know. That would That's be my expectation. I, I would assume so. Um, constitutionally, I don't know the vacancy, how quickly it needs to be filled. I do know when Nixon resigned and Gerald Ford replaced him, 
there were a few months there where there was no vice president. And there have been times before the 25th Amendment came into place where there there was no mechanism to replace a vice president. That's after, right. Mm-hmm. So we had terms where Chester Arthur was the president. Mm-hmm. He would never had a vice president, right? He after McKinley was it McKinley that died that you got Chester Arthur and uh, then Garfield. it was just Garfield. Assumed, James, Garfield, James Garfield, Garfield. Yes, so there was nobody. It was just right. assumed that if the and president then, then died, then the speaker. Then, then that's the where you go down the constitutional right. uh, succession. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be what would happen here. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, my question was because he's not the president yet. No, but you've, you've had you have a ticket that's elected. We, essentially, you've selected electors, and we. Those electors are pledged. They're going to get certified. So if the top of the ticket wasn't there, they're still going to certify Biden. If Biden's not there, then Harris is going to end up being your president. If your watch list question um, (laughs) comes to fruition. It's just a legit question. Nate has a political career to take care of, and you're just just ruining it. (laughs) Ruining it. He's going to get thrown off the RMC board before he completes his training. That was a Facebook comment. This one was like, I'm scrolling on by that one. (laughs) I mean, it's an interesting time. And you're seeing, like, I saw there's there's protests in front of the White House, and there's two different groups. And I was like, I commented, somebody posted, I don't know what they were looking for, but I was like, that's America. It's two groups of people, and they're both protesting something. They don't agree on what they're protesting, but that's, that's America. But it's just kind of an interesting time where even you know they went back to Gore when Florida, when the Supreme Court says he's like, okay, you, you know, he just said, okay, I concede. I don't agree with it. He I said concede. he said recently, I did everything I could short of violence. Right, like he went as yeah. far as he could. The biggest the the United States Supreme Court says we're done. You know, it's done. It, mm-hmm. it, it's over. Now, Trump hasn't gone that far yet, right? So he's going to go until I, – I, I guess he's going to treat this like a con- criminal conviction, and he's going to go until the courts won't let him go any further, which, which is, I guess, plausibly acceptable. It's not mm-hmm. the American tradition, but it, it's <laughs> – he has, he has the funds and he has the, the ability to do it. I think, you know, looking into the crystal ball, um, Republicans will hold the Senate just barely. That's my prediction right now. Okay, we've got 50 Republican senators, 48 Democrat senators. Things hinge on the two elections in Georgia. Yep. You have Both one very much newcomer, runoff. and you have a uh, a long term. Is it David Perdue? Uh, David Perdue. He's yes. been serving in the Senate for a long time. That's right. Whereas the Perdue Kelly name Leffler is a was an appointed replacement. Yes, mm-hmm. the Perdue name has been around for a very long time. That's right. Uh, in Georgia mm-hmm. politics, Sonny Perdue, David Perdue, all of them. So, see, Mitch McConnell only needs to win one of the two Georgia Senate seats to maintain the Republican majority in the Senate. Yeah. However, if Democrats win them, then it'll be 50-50, and Vice President-elect Harris will then become the tiebreaker. Until in Dakota's horrible scenario, she's president, and then God (laughs) only knows what happens to the Senate. Right. Um, I, I have somehow been added to a text distribution list I, I don't know if i visited the world of coke one too many times in georgia but there's a database that thinks that i'm a registered voter in in georgia <laughs> oh. and a republican so i get multiple texts and phone calls every day urging me to save the republican senate in georgia constantly yeah i've heard that yeah all the money that was going like into all the races is now going down there so like at least we got to wake it up. It needs to. We got to wake up on Wednesday after the election and we got to stop seeing political ads. <laughs> and for them it just like doubled down even harder. 
Mm-hmm. It's the political epicenter. They have the recount going on, plus they have two U.S. Senate seats. You never have two U.S. Senate seats at the same time. Now they have right. it twice in a month. Mm-hmm. And now, well, they need to be spending all their money. I mean, Georgia is the only thing that's going to keep us from having a blue presidency, a blue house, and a blue Senate. It all comes down to Georgia. And the house is just blue. It's very narrow. Blue. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very narrow. You know, not all the races have been called yet. Uh, New York and California, there's still a couple of outstanding races. But even so, Nancy Pelosi is speaker by only a single-digit difference. Yeah. yeah. And so I fully predict that Republicans will retake the House in 22. In, 22. Yeah. in and, midterms, the incumbent president normally loses That's seats. correct. And I, uh, I'm also going to predict that uh, you libertarians are going to get your wish in 22 uh, Donald Rainwater, I predict, is going to run for Secretary of State and hit the magical 10% threshold. We'll see. Uh, That's we'll my see prediction happens. at this it's, point. We've certainly been trending in the right direction. It's been uh, it's been a phenomenal uh, phenomenal ascent here the last few years. Over to, over to, over 11%. We still continue to get numbers in. So the percentage that Don got in the last uh, in in the previous race. Uh, we don't know what the final number is, but it would but have been statewide. That, it's in, 11 percent, 11.5. I believe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, I, I guess the other takeaway I have is that Republicans are kind of going to go back into the wilderness a little while if Biden is in place mm-hmm. and it's the opportunity to reset. So the question is, is that if you're, if you've got the prediction hat on Nate is in 2024, is this going to look like the party of Trump that's happened in the last six years? Or is the GOP going to change and reshape itself again, and, and you're going to find some new leadership? I predict the Republican Party will go back to its roots in uh, free trade. Um, and Mike Pence is the logical person to lead them back to that. In addition, um, personally, I would rather have Mike Pence as the face of the Republican Party than Mitch McConnell. Sure. So, so what names? What names do you think? If you're handicapping, obviously we're four years out. It's never too early to start. You think Pence is there? Who do you think are the other leading Republican voices as they get into this, the presidential sweepstakes? Uh, former South Carolina Governor and UN Ambassador Nikki Haley. Yep. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas. Uh, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida. Little Marco. Those are the ones I see right now. Yeah, they've been there have been talks about Marco Rubio. Rubio. There's also been talk of uh, Mark Cuban hmm. coming over to the Republican side. That'll be interesting. He's been uh, he's called himself a libertarian for quite some time, but now he uh, Mark Cuban's been very fluid with his political mm-hmm. affiliations. But he just recently Trump. most people that <laughs> most people that wealthy are yes. yes. He just recently teased something about running for president in 2024 as a Republican. The dark horse name I'll toss in there for you too, is the, uh, the South Dakota governor. Uh, oh, okay. Noam, I think, uh, Christy, Noam. Christy Noam. She, uh, I visited her congressional office. I got a picture outside of her office about four years ago and on one of my trips to DC. And, uh, now she's the governor of South Dakota and she's been a rising star. What about, so. uh, Condoleezza Rice? Do you, do you ever foresee her peeking her head back in? She could, but she is going to have to do something in the interim to get her name out again. She's, she's been, she's doing out something. of the scene for a little too she's long. She's doing now. something in the private sector right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember. I really like her. Yeah. She'll, she'll have to raise her profile before she can get back in the game. What, uh, what do you think is going to happen with the, the, the other interesting 
scenario that's going to play out over the next few months is cabinet appointments mm-hmm. for for Joe Biden. Uh, there's already, assuming Biden comes into play, uh, you've got a, an appointment. This, which is what literally sent Blagojevich to jail, was when Obama went to the presidency. <laughs> He tried to essentially sell off. He got caught saying that a, a Senate seat is too valuable to just a waste. So he wanted something in return for it. Mm-hmm. So the the California Senate seat that Harris has now mm-hmm. is going to be of issue. Um, and then you could potentially have other Senate seats, senators appointed to the cabinet. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, she's a prime candidate for the cabinet, I would say. Um, Bernie Sanders for labor, possibly. <laughs> I, he, there was rumor of that the other day. Yeah, there was. That, that'd be scary. <laughs> uh, Dick Cheney is a top foreign policy advisor. <laughs> <laughs> I do know uh, Congressman Cedric Richmond from uh, New Orleans. He was tapped to be, I believe, um, just a White House counsel yeah. or so, something like that. Yeah. The, the counsel, the counselor to uh, Biden, uh, the official White House counsel, the attorney, uh, was actually an Alito staff. Uh, uh, hmm. so the, the, I can't remember the name. I don't have it in front of me now, but, uh, Judge Alito, the conservative mm-hmm. Republican, uh, this person had been an aide to Alito and then was the official counselor during the election the, throughout the campaign. And now it's taking the same job for the White House. So you do have some bipartisanship that's coming mm-hmm. through, but it, it's, it's interesting to watch these because if you have Senate seats, when, the, when it leads to a special election or somebody getting appointed, you don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. You have an incredibly thin margin. Right. Jeff Sessions was the senator from Alabama. Mm-hmm. He joined the Trump administration, and that's how you got Senator Doug Jones. And that right. moved a Republican seat to the to the Democrats. Sure. So you just don't know. It's it's crazy to it, it things aren't quite settled yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's interesting to you, Zach. You're a patron. You're gonna have to listen to this uh, as usual later, but uh this this is the chess the chess pieces yeah. that I look at that I go man this is, this part's going to be wild. It's fascinating to see because yeah if you pull somebody out of a seat that they're they're elected then there's no guarantee you're going to put somebody in there that's going to be able to resonate with voters when they come time for a reelection. You can set yourself up for for a not great situation potentially, especially if you're going to have like yeah depends how long to they're coming up that seats up for reelection so. And that's the situation in Georgia is they had a retirement and they had to do a special election. So the that's correct. Uh, Johnny Isaacson resigned midterm due to health reasons. And Kelly Leffler was appointed to fill out the remainder of his term. Um, was it the remainder of his term or no, just until the special election can right. be held. So it'll be because a short term. Isaacson had just been reelected in 2018. Right. So her seat, she'll have to run a number of times, essentially, to actually get a full term. She, this is to fill that term, and then once again, it'll come she up. She would have to run again in two years 24. or four years. Yeah. yeah. That's why they have two Senate seats up at one time. Right. Be yeah, because you, you have class one, two, and three senators, which is literally how they get spaced out mm-hmm. every – And she's just uh, – it's a special election for her, whereas it's the regular six-year election for Purdue. Or the producer. She's getting the extra super special special. <laughs> oh, she's getting the extra. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes these guys they get appointed in a caucus. You know, the kind of the caucus thing, and they're there and they're for, they're for three or four years, and you know nobody really knows. And then they finally have to see the voters. She's incredibly new, and she's just running for Senate multiple well, the, times. Then you know, speaking of being appointed, Victoria Sparts, Congresswoman elect Victoria Sparts, was a state senator. Yes, but 
she was never elected to the state Senate. Exactly. When Luke Kenley reti- resigned midterm, she, she won, won the, caucus. the caucus to replace him. Yep. Which so, give her the, gives her the jumping off point to, right. to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indiana doesn't do special elections. That's something that right. folks don't, you know, don't see. They, it, they do it, for Congress because that's constitutionally mandated, but not for state legislature. Yeah. So we did a special, well, I guess after, when Julia Carson passed away, they did That's do a correct. special election for when our Andre Carson took over. Right. There's your, uh, there's your fact for the day, Dakota. Final thoughts. I'm ready for him. All right. Producer Chris. Um, just a quick update. Uh, Seahawks are up seven to zero over the Cardinals. DK Metcalf scored the first touchdown. He was going like sub plus 700 or something like that. So if you made that bet, uh, five dollar bet would have paid out forty dollars. Uh, <laughs> thank you for coming to the betting show. <laughs> I am not having a good night. The guy I I had a, th- a three person parlay, uh, and the guy that I bet on did uh, he didn't start. I will also say in the Mac, I hate Ball State. You cannot <laughs> score. You are pieces of garbage. So they're back to the normal selves. <laughs> They are garbage. All right. Well, they won. By the way, Ball State won last night. They're two and one and they're doing just fine. Chris is just a grumpy better. First quarter, they cost me a nice pretty penny. <laughs> Your degeneration cost you a pretty penny. You made this. Listen, it is not. I am not addicted. I can stop anytime I want. <laughs> I just don't want to. All right. Mr. Zach Bertram. Uh, go visit LK for your beef. Uh, try and stay safe out there. We're getting, it looks like the world's about to get shut down again. Um, so hopefully everybody has a safe Thanksgiving. And if you do travel, at least the traffic shouldn't be too bad. I guess it'll be light, but I don't know. I don't know what to think. They canceled the Christmas prayer. What do I have to look forward to? (laughs) I was like, I was going to wander a quarter mile down to my mom's house to sit and watch inflatables in the back of trucks. Probably an F1 race. There's still a couple more F1 races left to go, right? Yeah. I've I've gotten so far behind. The championship's already won. They already Hamilton, seven-time world champion, hinting like he wants, he's going to retire. He's not going to retire. He's going for eight. He's going to come race Indy cars. Yeah, that would be amazing. He's going to go full Nigel Mansell. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. All right, Mr. Lamar, thanks for coming out, man. Thank you. I enjoyed this. What, uh, do you have anything to pitch? Anything, folks, if you, people want to follow you, read read your stuff, Any anything you want to promote? Open floor. Anything we 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 skipped over or didn't cover appropriately? I think we've covered things fairly well this evening. Can't you miss, think of anything in particular? Do you miss traveling? Um, yes, I, I do. I was going to say, cause yes. you're, you, and you find people from Newcastle everywhere. <laughs> I was like, oh, look, Nate's right. from somebody in Newcastle. Where is he at? He's in Dubai. He's in, <laughs> and like two days later, oh, he's in Germany. And I was like, well, how does he find all these people? And he's just like, he's all over the place. And then you're like back in town for like a 4-H thing in a couple of days. And it's just like. Henry County folks are everywhere. Apparently, that's, apparently that's, some people do. Them. They say nobody gets out of this town, but apparently some people do and they get very, very far away. Well, that's one of the things Nate's always been talking about is that, that was one of your signature uh, conversations was the brain drain of Henry County. When you, you know, right. you would continually. Travis Wyke is asking for submissions for people. I'm just to saying speak about the brain drain. Henry County lost me going to <laughs> Delaware County. Yeah. You promised to return. We'll see. You, we'll you've see. made the promise. I know. I really do want to return, but no houses were available. Maybe the redevelopment commission can figure You want them out. to buy you a spec house? Nah, I just want them to, <laughs> to make it where it's, a, you know, people want to build a house Two here. Two weekends a month, you can bring people in. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dakota, uh, 
Guffey lives in the northern uh, state senate seat that uh, that mm. that that Nate uh, Nate lives in. These guys could run for senate against each other, and he'll have another fun debate in here. Good. You never know. And the Republican. We'll see primary? how things get drawn out. We'll see how things get drawn out. I could definitely run in the Republican primary if I want to. <laughs> there's no there's no Libertarian Party up there where he lives. It's true. We're unaffiliated <laughs> for now. Uh, oh, I do have something I wanted to promote, and that is uh, at there we have a yearly uh, bazaar at the Spice and French Church where like vendors come in. You still go there? Yeah, right. and. Uh, there was a gentleman there, and he had a display of pins sitting out on some like corrugated sheet metal. And I was looking at him, I'm like, "These are really nice." And he he makes them. He makes he hand makes all these pins on a lathe. And uh, I got to talking to him. And um, this fellow is from Greenfield. This one that I have in my hand right now is it, it's bolt action, so it wow. slides over like that. It's brass and stainless steel. And the body of the pin is made out of deer antler. And uh, it's really, really neat. And I also got one that is made out of zebra wood. And uh, he is in Greenfield. He has a Facebook page. It's called 141 Creations. And uh, they're all super cheap. He is really cool. I just wanted to give him a shout out and support his business. Do you promise not to break that? I was going to say, you're going to treat him better than the pins. Because every time I, I sit got in for this Dakota, specifically the... because of the bolt action, it totally satisfies that fidget need that I have. Every to time have I fill in for Dakota, I come in there and there's the carcass of a dead pen sitting. This one's been going for station. quite some time. That is a very expensive. It also has the same my fidget employer. factor because I can twist can it, it and then I can pull it apart and then, and then, then I broken. can, and then I can twist this part. Jeremiah, you asked me if I had something to, to promote. Yes. I just thought of something. A week ago tonight, uh, we held the 24th Annual Republican Club Speech Contest for high school students. And next year will be our 25th anniversary, if you can believe that. If you don't do it on and a Thursday night, I will come visit as one of the original contestants. Exactly. Coming back. Jeremiah. With my gray hair. <laughs> uh, Jeremiah competed in... I believe our first contest. Yeah, I did at the least Iron two years. Kettle in Sulphur Springs, correct? I I was uh I did one in at the Rain Tree. Okay. I did one downtown at the headquarters. I believe okay. we were at the headquarters. Mm-hmm. Uh I so I may have been at the second. I may not have been at the very first. Okay. But I know I did a couple. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I've got I've still got savings bonds. The GOP <laughs> used to give out sweet savings bonds that I think well hell they're probably almost ready to cash in now. Probably so. <laughs> they I think they cost them 5 bucks and they were going to be worth 10 in 20 years. So I think finally <laughs> finally I can cash in on my big my big GOP payoff. So wow. it's it's a, it's a great thing. I, I did see you guys had uh one of my junior leaders was uh mm-hmm. was uh was there. Um and we had, had eight compete this year. No, so in person you had two, oh, and then two you had some in person, on and Zoom. then six competed via yep. Zoom. Yep, awesome. And yeah, I'd like to shout out, uh, thank you to Libby Powell, an English teacher at Shenandoah High School, who uh, comes through every year with us for students. And I'd like to thank Betsy Mills as well. She ran the tech and all the Zoom to make this contest work this year. Very impressive. Yeah, it's a it's a great thing. And I I have come back a few times and checked it out, but the uh, yeah, the Thursday night thing just doesn't work. The county council okay. counter programs us. The GOP speech contest gets us every year. It's uh, one of these one of these times to try again. Um, final thoughts for me. I had a quick story. We are dark next week, Thanksgiving. We're gonna. You guys have to just go back and listen to a best of. You go back and listen to about episode two or three and see how terrible we were. 
Episode two is the very first one without Spangle actually supervising. So episode two, if you want to go back and hear we early OG, that's the Lost in the Wilderness podcast. I think Audrey was on that episode. I think so. Audrey used to hang out with us. She was so much fun. Um, we are closing down the camping season. Winterized last week. I know I need to put my battery away, so I want to put it on a battery tender, Zach. Yep. A battery maintainer. I have one for my boat, and now I need one for the camper. So I said, all right, I'm going to buy one. I looked on Amazon.com, and a product that should be $25 was back-ordered. And I said, oh, okay, I'll just try it again later. I looked again. Now it's in stock, and it was like $48. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Yeah, that's the rough thing about Amazon. Prices <clears throat> fluctuate. Instantly, things change in the markets. The market told me I'm going to look somewhere else. So I said, okay, I'm going to buy something from Walmart.com. Very first time in ages I've used Walmart. And it, I'm not. they don't have Prime, so you have to order at least $35 worth of stuff. My purchase was like $29. So I'm like, all right. If I add $6 more, I'll get free shipping. I ordered it, paid, done. It sends me an email about three minutes later. I ordered some air fresheners because we're taking this road trip. I said, I'll get some air fresheners for the car. About three minutes later, it says, hey, we're going to split this into two orders. We're going to deliver because some of this is in your local store. I literally had like two hours later, the air freshener showed up in a Walmart bag with a label on it and they ran it over from the local store and delivered it in front of my house, took a picture of my front door and left it there. Wow. Wow. And they're sending okay. the battery tender from California. I, I, that's amazing service. I didn't really care for the air. air I didn't need the air fresheners anyway. They were just yeah, the extra no, thing. No, that no, they're no, going to throw in the box to make it go yeah, before prime. That's how we did on Amazon. <clears throat> Bought a pin or two. Right. Hitting the $35. So I don't know. Maybe this is just to get me hooked on the thought of, you know, buying more stuff from Walmart and maybe shit will still show up that day. But they went from having I, I, I sell stuff that gets shipped all the time. They went from having one shipment where it could all come from one place for free to now they're sending the item that they wouldn't send all alone. They're sending it by itself. And they had some guy just literally drive across town for nothing. <laughs> sounds like sounds interesting. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Craziness. Nope. So I wasn't Episode sure if that's two. happened to anybody else yet. Vegas recap, Syrians and United. Jeremiah Morrill, oh, April 18th, 2017. Jeremiah Morrill and Dakota Davis sit down with Patrick Calvert, Pat Calvert yes. of the Ball State Daily News to discuss Jeremiah's trip to the left coast, United Airlines PR disaster. Patrick explains the Syrian war, and we discuss the Moab. It's probably been that long since we've talked foreign policy. It's been 182 episodes since we've tried, uh, and it may be another 100 before I'm brave enough to try it again. Yeah, I, I did the same thing Nate did. I went to Las Vegas, and I'm in a casino, and there was Pat Calvert from Newcastle. So it does happen. It does happen. And, he lives and now there he now. lives there. And now he lives there. Wow. All right, that's enough of this. Thank you guys so much. We will see you all in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to the Boss Hog of Liberty, which is part of the We Are Libertarians network. I am Chris Spangle, and I am the founder of this network, and I invite you to listen to all of our shows, which you can find at wearelibertarians.com or by searching for these in your podcatcher. The flagship show is the We Are Libertarians podcast, where we apply libertarian principles to current events. The Brian Nichols Show is a conversation amongst Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Independents, as they talk about what is happening in the news. And we have many other podcasts like The Chris Spangle Show, Upward, The Cost, Raw Audio Politics, Miranda's World, and Tad Talk, which is quite a ride. So check all of these out. Go to WeAreLibertarians.com and you can check out all of our great podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at WeAreLibertarians.com.